invite you to turn in your Bibles to Luke's Gospel, chapter 2. We begin our Advent season with the theme of hope, and we come to Luke's Gospel, chapter 2, and we'll be considering Simeon's song. This is the fourth and final of Luke's recorded Advent songs. It follows Mary's Magnificat, Zechariah's Benedictus, and the angel's Gloria in Excelsis. And we come here to Simeon's Nunc Dimittis. And it is a beautiful, beautiful song that is filled with much truth about the Lord Jesus Christ. Each particular song in Luke's gospel gives to us a a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ, something about him. And when taken individually, they instruct us how we are to respond to God's word with praise. Then as we consider them collectively, we can see how Luke shapes and records these songs to give us an overview of all of God's redemptive work. Not only the person of who this child is, but also what he would do in order to redeem us from our sins. So we come now to Luke chapter 2, and we'll begin our reading at verse 22. And if you are able, please stand for the reading of God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word. Let us hear now the word of the Lord, Luke 2, verse 22. And when the time came for their purification, that is, Mary and Joseph, according to the law of Moses... They brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord. Every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice. According to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. And his father and mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And the Lord will bless the reading of his life-giving word. You may be seated The story of Christmas, the story of Advent, is very familiar to all of us, and this particular song may be very familiar, but I want us to consider the theme of hope as it really comes forth in Simeon's song, but before we consider the song itself, I want to draw your attention to a few lessons that we can learn from Mary and Joseph 
and what we have in these surrounding events before Simeon enters the picture. As you notice in the reading of this text, several times you see reference to the law of Moses or the law of the Lord. And Mary and Joseph were, were deep believers in God, and they stood on the precipice of that old covenant as they were about to enter the new, and they were still following the rites and rituals that are laid down in the book of Moses. And they're bringing their child to the temple. There's several reasons that they're going. One is for a sacrifice of purification. As you read in Leviticus, 40 days after the birth of a child, they were to go to the temple and offer sacrifices. And then for a firstborn son, they were to present that son to the Lord. And that's what they're doing here. But there's a remarkable detail that Luke picks up here, and that is the kind of sacrifice that Mary and Joseph bring to the temple. It says, in order to fulfill the law of the Lord in accordance to the law of the Lord, they brought a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. That's just a brief section of the instructions that we read in Leviticus about how to go about bringing sacrifices. And that reminder that if there is any approach to the Lord, it must always be by means of sacrifice. And here they're bringing that offering. Now, if you were to go back and read in Leviticus, all of the details, you'd have seen that the first animal that was recommended or suggested that be brought would be a lamb. But not everybody in the covenant people of God could afford a lamb. And so God in his mercy, God in his grace, provided a way for the poor to be able to bring a sacrifice to the temple. And if they could not afford a lamb, they were to bring two pigeons or two turtle doves. And that's a reminder to us that the family that Jesus comes from represents the kind of people that Jesus comes to. Poor, poor in spirit, those that have nothing in themselves to bring, but God provides a way. And there's an irony here. There's an irony of, of Mary and Joseph who could not afford a lamb, but God in his great provision of redemption provides the lamb to them that they bring who will one day give himself as a sacrifice, that lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And that brings us to the other reminder, the other lesson that this reminds us of. And that is that God has provided for our sin. If Christmas teaches us anything, it teaches us that there needs to be a remedy for sin. If you remember in the medieval work by a man named Anselm, he writes a work called Why the God-Man? And that is a question that we all should ask, not just in December, but, but really all throughout the year. Why was it necessary that God provide his son, the son of his love, to come to earth in the flesh? Well, in Anselm's work, he has this dialogue with, with another individual named Bozo. And Bozo is the kind of individual by which clowns were named. And Bozo cannot grasp 
why it was necessary for God to do such a drastic step. And so Anselm asked Bozo, he says, I want you to think of the smallest sin you've ever committed. And think of that small sin as the only sin. If that were the only sin you've ever committed, what could you as a finite individual, as a finite created being ever do to satisfy the holy, eternal, infinite wrath of God against just that one sin. And he stands back and he says, well, there's nothing I could do because we're finite and God is infinite. And then he says again, he goes, but again, I don't know why. Why did God have to send his son? And Anselm says, you have yet to consider the gravity of sin. Our sin is weighty. Our sin is heavy and it stands as that great barrier between us and a holy God. And when we come to Advent, when we come to the substance of what we are waiting for and hoping for, the question is why do we wait for something of such grandeur? And it is because in God's infinite wisdom, in his grace, in his mercy, He says, I will provide a sacrifice, a redeemer, and it will be no less than the son of my love, God manifest in the flesh. And then we have almost an abrupt end to Mary and Joseph. They're on their way to the temple. They're about that. They're there at the temple. And all of a sudden, Luke says, now there is a man named Simeon. The transition just completely shifts. And Simeon's an intriguing figure because we don't know anything about him before this, and we don't know anything about him after this. All we know and all we see of Simeon is in this brief section in Luke 2. And we're only told four things. One, we're told that he's righteous and he's devout. We have these two, these two virtues. He's devout before God. He was a man of piety. He was a man who loved God. And before the Lord, he was very devout. And we also see that he was righteous. He was righteous before men. So here you have Simeon, a godly man, not, not popular, not much is known, but yet he was righteous and he was devout. The second thing is we see that he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. He was a man who waited And third, we see that he was full of the Holy Ghost. And then fourth, and finally, we see that he had something revealed specifically to him, that he would not see death until he had first seen the Lord's Christ. And that is something that in many ways is true of us all. We will not be able to face death rightly until we first see the Lord's Christ. What Simeon was promised to see by sight, we, by God's grace, can behold by faith. And may we behold what Simeon beheld that day. And we want to see that you have Mary and Joseph coming to the temple on one particular day. Simeon, who was prompted by the Holy Spirit to go to the temple at that particular day, at that particular time, to see the fulfillment of this promise, and we see that God is in control of all details. God is in control 
of everything. There's not one event in your life. There's not one virus in this world that is outside of the control of God. Your life is not an accident. And what great comfort and hope that is because Jesus Christ has come to taste our sadness. And that is the hope that we have. And so real briefly before the, before the passage and the time we have, I want to draw your attention to three characteristics of hope from this passage. The first one is that hope waits in darkness because it knows that the light will overcome it. Hope waits in darkness because it knows, it hopes that the light will overcome it. It has been said that Advent begins in the dark. And if Advent begins in the dark, then that just means that that hope exists in darkness. And this is true of Simeon, and not just Simeon, but also Israel. So many centuries prior to this, you have the prophet Isaiah. And Simeon is going to quote Isaiah, and he's going to allude to Isaiah in several places. And Isaiah prophesied of a day that unless God's people repented, that they would be put in exile. And he then begins to give glimpses of what awaits the people of God, what awaits Israel if they do not repent for the northern kingdom. There is a transition of power. You have the Assyrians that are, that are amassing strength. They are increasing in, in their conquests. And Isaiah says, unless you turn to the Lord, you will be taken captive. And we see in 722, the northern kingdom, it falls to the Assyrians. But then Isaiah continues to proclaim the word of the Lord to Jerusalem and Judea. And he says, unless you repent, you will be taken captive. And we know that in 589 BC, the southern kingdom, Jerusalem, Judah, it falls to the Babylons. And so what do we see? We see a people in exile. But time goes by and, and, and kings are, are put up and then they're taken down. And the only thing that's the same is God's people are in exile. You have the Assyrians, you have the Babylonians. The Babylonians give way to the Persians and, and they, uh, they let God's people go back to Jerusalem, but now they just remain in their homeland in exile. And then the Persians give way right to the Greeks and the Greeks give way to the Romans and here you have God's people, Israel. And many over these centuries have lost hope. They stopped believing. But yet, here's Simeon, who waited. And remember, there's, there's 450 some odd years between Malachi and Matthew. No prophetic word. It seemed as though God was in the moment silent. He wasn't speaking anymore. But in all of that exile, in all of that darkness, there's Simeon waiting, not losing hope, not, not 
failing to listen to God's word as it was recorded in the scriptures of what we have as the Old Testament. He filled his mind, he filled his heart with the promises of God and everything around him looked as though that God would not keep his promise. I mean, this, this is hundreds of years. Look, look, we're waiting for 2020 to be done. And we've been doing that for about eight months. And we're getting antsy. Here's generation after generation after generation of faithful remnant of God's people in Israel saying, no, really, there's, there's going to come. Remember the prophet Isaiah, he says, he says, God will come and comfort his people. The consolation of Israel will come. And another generation goes. And another generation rises and tells their children and so forth. At some point, you see those just starting to kind of trickle off. That's what hope is is hope remains fastened to the word of God and the promise despite all that we see with our physical eye. He's waiting for the consolation of Israel, the word of hope. And here on a particular day, he sees light. Light has come. We see, secondly, that hope embraces light, and only then can it know peace in dark places. This is, this is remarkable, and, and again, the familiarity kind of minimizes the awkwardness of the original story. You have, you have Mary and Joseph holding their baby Jesus on their way to the temple, and if you could think, out of the shadows, a man walks and says, I'm going to hold your baby now. If, if that were to happen today at Walmart, you, you would not acquiesce. But here's Simeon, prompted by the Holy Spirit. He holds the baby in his arms, and what he says is astounding. Today my eyes have seen Salvation. Centuries after centuries after centuries. Waiting, hoping, and now holding. My eyes have seen your salvation. Salvation that is bound up in a baby. And he says, now. Now, Lord, you can let your servant depart in peace. He had been given a commission. You will not see death until you see the Lord's Christ. Now I have seen the Lord's Christ. And what is the sense he's asking? He's like, Lord, release me. Release me from my commission. I may now depart. But what is his departing? His departing is death. He, he said, I can now die in peace. What, what an odd juxtaposition, death, peace. What, and in one sense, death rides on the coattails of sin in this world. Death is the darkest of places. 
But yet if you've seen the light, then even the darkness of death cannot erase the peace. Simeon has held salvation. And he sees God's salvation bound up in a human. The God-man. And, and here's where we must just stand back and marvel. We, we know the facts of the incarnation. God manifests in the flesh. Jesus Christ, the image of the invisible God. The invisible God, now visible, veiled in flesh. What do we see? The Godhead. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. The one through whom the world was made. The one who sustains the world. Now a newborn having to be carried, having to depend upon Mary for that sustenance. Look, the, the, the mystery of the incarnation never let us move beyond the mystery of the second person of the eternal Trinity enfleshed. And Simeon says, this is the one that brings peace. I can die now in peace according to your word because my eyes have seen your salvation. And though we have not seen Christ with our physical eyes, the same holds true for all Christians. Right? Because we've seen Christ by faith, we have the peace that we will one day see him by sight. And there is peace. This is more than just a calming peace. This is an objective peace, the peace that Jesus Christ brings. That brings us to the final aspect here of hope, that hope will give way one day to sight when all darkness will be defeated. But the ultimate defeat of darkness does not come without cost. Right, this, is, this is the fourth Advent song reflecting upon the birth, but the first song that also mentions is death. Mary's song, Zechariah's song, the angel's song, that's all joy to the world. All is bright. Simeon's song is, oh yeah, there's that. But there's also the sword. There's also what Jesus will do. He is the one who is the light for the revelation to the Gentiles, the glory to your people Israel. Again, as Pastor Nick read in Isaiah 49, that this light is not just for Israel, but God is, is glorified in the redemption of all peoples, Israel and Gentiles, you and me. But the question is, how does he do that? When the baby comes, there isn't 
the fullness of the realization of peace on earth, there's still darkness. And how is Jesus Christ going to overcome it? First, you have the word of division. This child is appointed, verse 34, for the fall and rising of many in Israel. The one who came from Israel to Israel will be rejected by many in Israel. Many will fall because they reject him. Now many will rise and embrace him. And then he will be a sign that is opposed. There's going to be opposition here. Here's a word of sorrow. Not everything in the life of Jesus is going to be easy. And that sorrow, that opposition is alluded to here in this particular word to Mary. What we have is a parenthetical phrase, almost as though you have Simeon speaking this, this word of, of division and sorrow to Mary and Joseph. And then he turns to Mary specifically and says unto you. A sword is going to pierce your soul. What does that mean? What was it for Mary, the mother of Jesus, to see her child rejected, despised, forsaken, man of sorrows, acquainted with grief? Brings us right to the work of Christ. Again, as we sung, he came to taste our sadness. The great poet John Donne, who is also a pastor, preached to his congregation on Christmas Day on this text. And he made the statement that the whole life of Christ, the whole life from birth to death is one of passion. It is one of suffering. This one who's whose rejection would be that sword that pierces the mother's soul is one who was born a martyr. He was born to die. And we all know humanly what it is to desire the best for our children. We know the pain that we feel when we see hardship come to our children, but none of us knows the piercing that Mary knew. Again, here is the Holy One the spotless one, the the one who came as a gift from God to lost humanity was beaten, smitten, spat upon, beard plucked from his face, clothes rent from his body, mockery made, a crown of thorns put upon his head, And there on that day on Calvary, the one that grew, the one that Simeon once held, today I've seen salvation, was working salvation. Is there in his body on the cross with outstretched arms, nail-pierced hands and feet, our sins put upon him. And all the while at the foot of the cross, there was Mary. A word of his death, just some 40 days after his birth. It was easy for Mary and Joseph to marvel 
at the contents of the song. And now they walked away, hiding all of the words of that prophecy within their heart. And that is our Savior. That is our salvation. That is our hope. It's a word for the world. It's not just for Israel. A revelation, a light to the Gentiles. Light has come. Look, dear Christian, why are we here today? It's because light has come. It's because the God who promised a deliverer is the God who delivered on his promise. Christ arrived. And so what is all that for us? What's the so what? How do our hopes and fears today, how do we find them met in Jesus? Just briefly three themes. The first is Advent reminds us of the tension that yet remains in our world and in our lives. Christ has come, light has come, light is pushing back the darkness, but we still live in it. There's an already not yet. We have embraced Christ because he has first embraced us, and yet we continue to wrestle with sin. We wrestle with this fallen and broken world. And Christ does not keep us broken. He restores, and he's restoring all things. And what do we do? We hope. We too wait. And we could sit there like Simeon and say, look, it's been hundreds and hundreds. It's been, what, 2,000 years? That, that the church has said, he, no, he's coming back, really. We've confessed it. We confess every week. And from the throne, from thence he shall come to judge. But he hasn't done it yet. Well, we hope. We wait. We get our eyes fixed upon the word. What do we let our minds be shaped by in our world? Look, I don't think Simeon was, was pouring hours of the day over the Jerusalem Times Free Press or the Judean Gazette. It was the word. It, it was God's word. So what is it that we should be filling our minds with? Not CNN or Fox News or whichever, wherever you are on that. We can research anything. May we research God's word with the same vigilance that we're prone to research the daily news. Because there's tension here. But there's also hope here. Jesus is coming again. Why stand you gazing the same way that you saw him ascend? He will descend and come back. It's not a maybe. He's coming again. And so may the fulfillment of Christ's first coming fuel our hope for his second. Let us long for the return of Christ. And let us long for the return of Christ more because we want to see him than when we want to see the junk of 2020 done away with. We do want that. But Christ is our hope. And then finally, Christ our hope shapes and informs our mindset as children of the light. If we have seen the light, may we reflect the light. Again, and that's again what Pastor Nick drew our attention to. 
with how Paul uses that same passage in Isaiah 49. He's seen the light, so now he reflects the light. We've seen the light, so now we reflect the light. We don't go out to witness. We are witnesses because we are people of the light. And the closer we get to Christ by faith, the more we will shine. And so let us reflect his compassion. Let us reflect his mercy, his humility, his grace, pointing others to the Lord Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Let us pray. Our gracious God and heavenly Father, we do thank you and praise you for the glorious gift of the Lord Jesus Christ. And just as you fulfilled the hope of those who waited for his first advent, So, Lord, we pray, Lord, that you would increase our hope for the second. Lord, we thank you that Christ is the fulfillment of hope. Lord, and as you've called us now to live in the already and not yet, Lord, the tension, Lord, that remains, we pray that we would be watchful and mindful. Lord, may we be like Simeon filled with the Holy Ghost, filled with the Spirit, longing to behold the light of the gospel. Lord, we thank you that the very power that shined light into this dark world is the same power that shined the light of the gospel into our dark hearts, and you opened our eyes to behold the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray that by your Spirit, you would give us more clear glimpses of that today. Lord, may we behold Christ by faith. Lord, we thank you for the word. We thank you for Simeon's song, Lord, that testifies of the Lord Jesus Christ. And may that shape our lives. Lord, have mercy on us, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.